I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Nathan Tafoya with us. He's the executive director of the Mount Pleasant, Texas Economic Development Corporation. I met him a year or so ago in a past project that he actually didn't win, but this just shows you how you can impress people even, even when you don't end up winning the deal. I just, I left there saying this is one of the best economic developers I've ever met. And so uh, after that, he won the 40 under 40 award. So it ain't just Chad thinking that, uh, Nathan. So uh, welcome to our show. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. I appreciate it. So it's a privilege to be here. Well, first tell these folks where Mount Pleasant is located. Texas is so big, they may have no earthly idea where that's at. Texas is a very big state. There are parts of Texas that are closer to California than the other side of Texas. Mount Pleasant is located about two hours east of Dallas, downtown Dallas, right on I-30. An hour north is Oklahoma, and then an hour to the east is Arkansas and Louisiana. So we're in that little top northeast corner. How far are y'all from Texarkana? People can probably visualize where that is. From Texarkana, we are exactly about an hour's drive, 60, 65 miles. Well, talk a little bit about Mount Pleasant and some of the things y'all are doing up there. Absolutely. So, you know, Mount Pleasant is a very interesting community in respect to what it the kind of companies that it has here and the infrastructure and the assets that it has. I uh, kind of have changed a lot of our marketing material to call us a micropolitan community, which I think is an important designation because that designation really shows that you're not technically a rural town that's struggling to uh, bring in restaurants or things like that, but you are a growing community and a thriving community. And so Mount Pleasant has a strong history of entrepreneurs taking businesses out of their garage onto the national and international stage. And I think it shows well in the caliber and the expectations of what the local government expects and what, you know, the community has been able to do and the partnerships that they have at the county and at the city level, you know, that people are very willing across all sectors from education to healthcare, to the college, just to work together and, they extend their hands and they cross aisles and 
I've seen it numerous times and it's pretty interesting to see. And it's really impressive. I've been in a few different markets and it's a really interesting dynamic that I think that they have here, but we have a number of business parks. The EDC itself owns about three to 400 acres worth of land, I should say. Our park specifically, we have about 250 acres of fully infrastructure land. You know, one of the things that we're excited about is we're working with AEP Swepco, which is our electric utility, and we were just certified as a qualified site. We haven't even announced it yet, but we got that designation a few weeks ago. We're just finalizing a few marketing pieces, but we're excited about that. We have, you know, millions of dollars of infrastructure in the ground. Your client actually saw that piece of dirt and shortlisted it. All right, so talk about some of the recent successes there in Mount Pleasant. Sure. So just end of last year, Lowe's, we have a distribution center in our region, announced a 300-person increase at net new jobs. And so they're sitting right at 1,300-plus jobs right now. We have a number of implant capacity expansions occurring. We have three different companies so far announced in 2021, I think it was April, who have announced more than 20,000 square feet worth of expansions. 20 to 30 million in capital investment, resulting in about 80 net new jobs. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this community is we have a very high manufacturing workforce industry. So 35% of our workforce is in manufacturing. We also have a very high location quotient for food and beverage. We have a very large trailer manufacturing industry. So two of the top five, six trailer manufacturers in the country are housed or were headquartered in Mount Pleasant. One of them is Big Tech's trailer. They started here uh, by a gentleman named Ricky Baker, who still lives here, resides here. That company was sold to Bain Capital. They moved some of the accountants and those sorts in the Metroplex, but their largest plant is still here. And then also a still locally owned, privately held company called Diamond Sea Trailers. And young 30-something CEO right now took over from his dad. They did a $14 million expansion in the last two years. So since 2018, they went from 220 employees and they're sitting at 520 today. So in two years, more than doubled. They're not even a small business anymore and they have no end in sight. So they just purchased uh, 30,000 square feet and are renovating an old metal shop and they have plans for another 64,000 square foot building in our Southern Industrial Park. And so there's just a lot occurring this year. So that have been announced so far, and just we're really excited about that. I think that your site, the one I'm thinking about, and I can't remember the name of it. I know you got multiple sites, but the site Mount that Pleasant. we looked at, yeah, yeah, Mount Pleasant Business Park. It is as showable of a site. You know, I know everybody talked about deal ready and certification and this and that and infrastructure, but when it just comes down to showing a pretty site, you know, with signage and rendering, I mean, that's about as showable a site as there is. So. Is that something that uh, y'all have really worked on or your predecessor built? Or, I mean, what made y'all go to that extra effort? My predecessor actually started that park and did a really great job of fully documenting it and making sure all the infrastructure and the right type of infrastructure is there. I think one of the interesting things about the site is the, the amount of water and wastewater infrastructure it has. The community has a lot of water capacity. And we have 7 million gallons of treated water and excess capacity right now. And just to kind of show you like the forward thinking aspect of the community, we purchased in 2019, uh, 20,000 acre feet of water from a nearby lake just to hold in reserve. We don't need it, but it's just for the future. We definitely prepare for the future. And that site is interesting as well because it's on I-30, it's fully documented, but it also has a 40,000 square foot concrete tilt up building attached to it that's expandable at about 75,000 square feet. 
we definitely wanted to make it show worthy and make sure clients understood that we wanted them to be proud of the place that they would call home. Absolutely. Well, take us back to how you first stumbled into economic development. Did you go to school to be an economic developer or did you just stumble in it like most of us? <laughs> I think I'm in the majority there. I went to school, I was pre-med and thought I was going to go into uh, the sciences and really did not like it and spoke to some mentors who said, what do you think about every day? What do you do? And what do you do in your free time? And I like to write. And so they said, go write. I got an English degree pretty much, but which is a creative writing degree. And then uh, at the University of Arizona with, and I double majored with in uh, journalism. And so I decided, you know, I could at least get a job in journalism and I can write and that would be fun. Uh, ended up on my way to, to Denver for a fellowship and, and stopped off at Albuquerque to work out a paper there. And just decided I really did not like it and ended up staying in the Albuquerque area for 10 years. But, you know, after I decided not to work at the paper anymore, I put my resume out and this town, it wasn't even a small town, but it was the fastest growing city in New Mexico. At the time, it was the third largest as a suburb of Albuquerque, Rio Rancho, New Mexico, their economic development corporation. No one called me. Seriously, I had a pretty good resume, had a lot of math and science and humanities and good job experiences and no one really had reached out and this this company reached out and when I arrived they said they needed a research manager and it was they we need someone to write our proposals and I was like hey I'm your guy I can write proposals and they said we'll teach you how to do the data we'll teach you how to do the statistics how to navigate the U.S. Census Bureau and I was like all right well cool that sounds great that's how I started in uh, late 2007. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what's sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other bills and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to Lois location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success well you know it's interesting though now i mean you do write great proposals having read one of yours and not every economic developer does <laughs> you know when you're on the when you're on this side looking at them and so but it's interesting that that skill that you learn well you probably never even heard about economic development now is really key to a lot of what you're doing so did you go from there then to Mount Pleasant or did you have another no. step along your way? Yeah. So I stayed in Rio Rancho for about seven years. And, you know, within the first year or two, I really caught the bug. KPMG had a project. It came out as Project uh, Sigma. And it was a state lead. And in the state lead, they said it was a call center. And they didn't tell us it was a Fortune 11 company. It was Hewlett Packard. And we had probably two or 3,000 jobs 
worth of about seven or eight call centers, you know, including Victoria's Secret, Direct, Sprint, Bank of America. They all had call centers in Rio Rancho. And so we put the bid in. We'd actually lost. And this is actually what kind of caught my eye and made me understand how competitive it could be. Because we were a suburb of Albuquerque, they came and met us. I don't know how my former mentor did it, but she jumped into the van with the client and KPMG and on the way to another site in another town said, hey, why don't we stop by our city center? And they said, by the way, that site is for sale. That's what we put in. And it actually taught me a lot about the process because the broker who was being used at that time, because it was a free land deal, they weren't going to get a commission. And so they had nixed the site, but the client was actually interested. It wasn't KPMG, it was the broker that was being used. It helped me understand sometimes the dynamics of an economic development deal. Sometimes there's people in the middle that really have biases or just self-interest or conflicts of interest that can really affect the deal that clients don't always understand when they're like going after site selection. And we actually won Hewlett Packard because we jumped into a van with the client and won it at the last deal. And so, you know, it was 1300 jobs, 218,000 square foot building. So just being a part of that process within my first year and a half of economic development, which was also coincided with the recession occurring, really taught me a lot. I've kind of grown up in economic development in a recession, post-recession world. And that was a really interesting thing. And I went back and got my MBA because of that, because I wanted to learn more about the business side. That's how I started. And I was there for seven years, went to the state economic development department and worked there setting up their business resource center. And then ended up in West Texas for about three years in a small community. And then the opportunity opened up here in Mount Pleasant in 2018. Well, you know, that's a great tip. Economic developers can be aggressive. When you say aggressive, people always think incentives or whatever. And I say, no, you can even just write a sentence aggressively. You can offer somebody nobody and do and no incentives and do it aggressively. So that's a great, so we got a lot of young people listening to this. That's a great tip. Jump in the car with them. I mean, be aggressive, especially in the small towns. You have to do it to get your name out there. So now, I mean, as I mentioned, you've been named top 40 under 40. So you're getting all this recognition and everybody knows what a good job you're doing. So what do you really love about it? On a morning where you really don't want to get up and go to work, what is it that really gets you going that day? I've really come to love economic development. I really love all aspects of it. You asked me about how I got here and I talked about, you know, going to school and very few people go to school and get a degree in economic development or planning. But I think, you know, having a strong science side and then having a very strong humanity side as well, I love the multifaceted, multidisciplinary aspect of economic development. You're in education, you're in workforce, you're in real estate, you know, you're in development, construction. What aren't you? I heard at an IEDC uh, meeting once, you know, they're like, what's the economic development? There's no definition, right? Even the IEDC is like, well, here's what we can kind of come up with. There's no like true definition. And it's just like, what isn't economic development? And I thought that was a really great point, you know, because different markets require different things and have different needs. A small town may need a new restaurant, a new fast food place, or may need some apartments to allow workforce to enable a small manufacturer to come in because there's no housing and you're in a bit large community. So it, it really just changes. And I love that discovery. I get the benefit. I can see Nathan. We're on a Zoom while all the rest of you can just hear him. But I see that OU certificate behind you. So did you do the OUEDI or? I did. <laughs> so I did OUEDI. I started off doing some of the IEDC courses, really enjoyed them. And I attended a few of the OUEDI. And man, it really had a fantastic experience. I was looking at some of your former podcast folks. I did a few courses in Louisiana. So I definitely met some of the people you probably know very well. 
and met them in that session. Yep. I, well, you EDI. Absolutely. I like to ask people when they were running around 10 years old, you know, playing ball or whatever, what'd you want to be when you grew up? And I always like to then compare that to an economic developer. <laughs> I was a first gen college student. And so I just did not want to come home with a broken back every day. And it was anything but, you know, hard work construction and anything inside of an office, I think was kind of my goal. But I think my goal was always to be a doctor or some sort of a profession like that. You know, just the typical stuff. Yeah, you and I have that in common. I didn't know it. My, when I was little, my dad was a blue-collar worker. And, and in the winter, we would go literally chop firewood. Literally. He'd get me out of bed at 6 in the morning. I don't know why we did it at the coldest part of the day. And I would freeze. And I'm like 10 years old. Can I swear to God? I said, I swear, if I ever get out and get me a real job, I will pay to have the heat come on. I ain't going to do this. No. So I, I was kind of like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that. Sometimes you're running from something. You're not running to something. You're running from it. So. I had super supportive parents. Maybe this happened to you as well, but when I decided not to become a doctor, I had a lot of guilt and not knowing necessarily what I wanted to do and really not liking that aspect of it and really having the release from my parents. I want to be like, no, don't worry about you know us or taking care of the family or doing things like that. You go do what you feel like you need to do. And, and I've really carried that into other parts that I do. When I deal with people, I make sure I give them options. If they're happy about what they do, I feel like they'll perform better, either whether it's an employee, a client, you know, a site selector, whatever it is, meet their needs and really try to work around that. And I feel like you have the best results that way. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. Most likely you have noticed the tremendous growth we've had in our executive search business. So each week on our podcast show, we're going to spotlight one of the executive searches that we're doing. This week, we're going to spotlight the Victoria County, Texas, president of economic development search we're doing. This is a tremendous job. Victoria is located basically halfway between San Antonio and Houston. It's pretty much the largest community between the two once you get outside of both of those suburb areas. County population of 92,000 people and growing, and this thing's going to pay up to $190,000. I think this is one of the best jobs in Texas, especially when you get outside of the metro area. This is a stable organization. They've had one CEO in the last 15 years. Victoria County has a winning tradition. They have huge name brand industries there like Caterpillar and Dow and many others. If you're interested, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash Victoria to check it out. You need to apply before May 7th. If you got questions, feel free to call us or book a Zoom with us. We'd love to tell you about it. You mentioned your mentor. Have you had any other big influences on your career over time? I do. And I would probably say it was Noreen Scott. She was a certified economic developer. She was my mentor in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, and, you know, was a certified economic developer. And she was on the IEDC board. I always describe her as, you know, like those Equis commercial, the most interesting man, as the most interesting woman. She had a pilot's license. She ran a newspaper with her husband, and they own a number of the uh, Spirit Halloween stores. Her and her husband, they got into that. They were like store number 17 or something. One of the most intelligent human beings I've ever met. Sometimes... I would hand her documents, things that I'd written. Like I used to provide very long written letters and narrative and prose in addition to the visual side of things. And she would just read it really quick. I was like, that was, you know, 10 seconds. And she taught herself how to speed read. And it really, I was like, I can get through, you know, an executive position 
And I actually took speed reading courses because she suggested it. And I was like, so I can get through documents quicker and make sure I was retaining, you know, comprehending what I was reading. You know, one of the things that I really appreciated that she told me once, or she would always approach projects and she would always say, well, how are we going to eat this elephant? Or she would say, we're going to eat this elephant one bite at a time. It was a statement about complex projects and how you take down a complex project, whether it was Hewlett Packard coming in. I remember her working through the weekend to make that project happen because it was a very last minute deal. But to go back to the, even to that, like when Hewlett Packard came, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. We drove him past and they're like, we're interested. Can we actually talk about it? She called the mayor. She's like, hey, can you meet us for lunch? And, you know, in one hour he showed up, he was there, gave the speech and all those sorts of things. It made me understand, gosh darn it, you need a team and your local government has to be on board. You have to have a good relationship and the mayor's cell phone number and he has to be able to answer your phone and not groan and hang up and stay, leave a voicemail. Sometimes you just need that person right away. And it showed me so much about relationships and she always allowed me to go into large meetings. You know, I was, you know, young 20s and just understanding how a deal came together with, you know, executives from Hewlett Packard. And she was like, come on, Nathan, she just put me in the corner and they would just start willing and dealing and talking and negotiating. And it really helped me understand how it was done. And she was never the type of mentor who was afraid of her own position. She always probably encouraged me to be better than her or to be as good as I could. And we've never had that threatening kind of thing where she was like, well, don't you stay out there and you do this. I really try to do that with anyone I come into contact with or I employ or work with. I really try to make sure that they're also enabled. So she was probably my biggest influence because she was just an amazing person. And then it was actually an interesting chain of custody. Her mentor, a gentleman named Mark Lotman, who's also a certified economic developer. I spent a lot of time with him as well, working on projects for him. And, you know, we would be uh, going to Starbucks on Saturdays. And one of the things he just told me, and it was very simple advice, but he was just like, Nathan, always make decisions in economic development and in your personal life that just keep your options as open as possible and keep your horizons as wide as they possibly can be. So I've always really taken that and run with it. Well, and that's great advice, especially for the young professionals. I always say, go somewhere where you're going to see projects. And even if you just sit quietly and watch it, you'll soak that up like a sponge, you know, for young people. Sometimes I fear that, you know, they want too perfect of a job or this place. But if you go somewhere where you're going to see how a deal comes together and you just sit quietly in the long run, that's going to serve you well. It's like somebody paying you to get an education instead of you paying the other person for it. And that's what's interesting about economic development, because like the amount of work you put into something, if you're just listening or you're working hard at whatever it is that you do, whatever you bring, because everyone's bringing something to economic development, that really shapes your perspective and your personality. And the largest perspective you can gain and the most amount of perspectives is really going to help you be successful because it's there are so many stakeholders in economic development. If you can understand where each stakeholder is coming from, it really helps you gain stakeholder engagement and buy-in. Well, as we start to wind down, do you have any daily habits that make you successful? My first boss in Mobile, Alabama, about once a week, he would shut the door and just work for two hours because he had so many stakeholders and elected officials and the staff running in there asking him stuff. And he just had to shut the door for two hours a week where he could work for himself. So that was one habit that stuck. I do that sometimes. Some executive time. Yeah. Do you have any little habits like that that you have that you really think well, make you successful? I saw... On LinkedIn recently, and I'm sorry, this is a weird way to answer your question, but there was a gentleman who, under his name, his uh, description for what he does on LinkedIn was meeting moratorium manager. And I just thought that was hilarious. I was like, that's awesome. And 
I remember reading that a long time ago in like Ink Magazine or something. And I really try not to have meetings for the sake of meetings. Let's get it done. It can be informal. Let's do it over your desk. Let's do it at the water cooler. That's our meeting. And like, let's say what we got to say, get back to stuff. We don't need to call stuff. And I try to avoid ones that, you know, I don't feel like are necessary or they're perfunctory. And I don't like meetings for meetings sake. So that was probably been my, I like to stay in my lane and do what I do. And I'm a millennial. So I value my time with my family. I have four children all under seven, seven and under actually. And making sure that I have enough time for them really makes me when I'm at work, focus here and just really be intent and purposeful in the things that I do when I'm at work. And having that balance in a mix is really important to me. All right. Well, Nathan, thank you for being with us today, folks. I'm telling you, put him on your radar screen. This is one of the up-and-comers that's uh, doing a great job and going into wherever he wants to be one of these days. So, Nathan Tavoya and Mount Pleasant, thank you for being with us. Anything you'd like to share with our guests as we conclude? No, sir. Thank you so much. It really was a privilege to be here, and I appreciate all that you're doing over there at Next Move Group. All right. Thank you. Real quick, I want to put an editor's note in here. So in the interview we recorded, Nathan stated that the local expansion projects in 2021 comprise an additional 20,000 square feet. What he meant to say was 200,000 square feet. So we wanted to make sure we get that in here.